Good evening. Welcome back. Beautiful Lord's Day. Again, no pressing announcements other than the Presbytery coming up next week. So we'll be gone for four days. You can't find us, track us down or anything. Although I think there is actually internet out there. Uh, Hamill is about 20, 30 minutes away from Winter, which is the big town nearby. Hamill has, is a town um, not because of the one church or the one house there, but because of the post office. So there's like three buildings there. It's, yeah, it's the three buildings there. It's literally that small. It's all farm country, so. But there's a little church there. We have the call to worship. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing five, four, two, five hundred and forty two. for the return of your Son, that we may reign with him for eternity, God Almighty. Help us to persevere, nevertheless, and wait in patience. God, even if it takes our entire lifetime, we pray for more of your strength and spirit, Lord, so that we may persevere therein. In these things we pray for your glorious name. Amen. You may be seated. Hymn 159, 159. 
do come before you, God Almighty. Our lips are not restrained from the things around us, Lord, but rather with joy in our hearts and thankfulness in our minds, Lord. We come before you asking for continued grace, thanking you, God, and standing in awe of who you are. We pray in particular, Lord, we pray in particular for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the church that we have covenanted together as the body here at Providence. We pray for her as a denomination to be faithful to you and to practice and in doctrine. We ask in particular, Lord, for her efforts in foreign missions, God, uh, to be fruitful, that the committee and those involved in foreign missions, Lord, not only at the General Assembly level, Lord, but also at the Presbyterian local level, God, that they would have wisdom, they would have insights, and they would have courage to do the right thing. And sometimes, Lord, that courage requires withdrawing funds, Lord, and putting funds elsewhere to a field that looks more ready for the harvest, God. And these are hard decisions, God. We pray for wisdom for the men involved in these things. We also pray, Lord, for any other issues that come up, God, as they have to deal with a number of missionaries and um, churches that are trying to be established across the world, Lord. And um, problems come up just like they come up here, Lord, as you know. And so we ask God and pray that they would continue to have insights and to deal with these things from afar, which is especially hard, Lord, so they have to depend on the reports of those there in the field. And we ask, God, that you would help uh, renew this committee and other committees, Lord, uh, with uh, men and new uh, blood and those with good insight, Lord, that can lend their strength to the work of foreign missions and establishing churches across the world outside of America in particular, Lord. So, God, we pray for our missionaries and their efforts, Lord. We ask the precious spirit that they would persevere, that they would continue to learn what they need to learn to understand how to deal with the culture around them, this new and exciting place, Lord, or even dangerous place. We pray in particular, Lord, for Murray Yumoto in Japan, that you would be with him in his efforts to sow the seeds of the gospel of Christ Jesus in a very unbelieving society, God. It's a very hard field, and it's uh, very hard on him, I'm sure, and his wife, God, although uh, they are courageous before us in their presentations, Lord, to see their own people throw away the good news and want to hear nothing of these things. We pray for their efforts and others who are with them in Japan, God, to be fruitful. Uh, Give them, we pray, wisdom as well and resources they need to persevere in their jobs and their missionary work, Lord, and what they need for retirement. We pray that you would help them in this regard. We also pray, God, for... Uh, the efforts, Lord, uh, elsewhere across the world that we have with our missionaries, Lord, that you would protect them and guide them, we pray. We pray also for other efforts that we support as a church, uh, Middle East Reform Fellowship, that you would also be with them as well and continue to bless them as they've been blessed uh, over the many decades in their efforts to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Middle East and to the Muslims in particular. We're thankful, God, that you have helped them and they have grown in many ways, Lord. May they persevere and uh, lend their insights and lend their expertise in this area, God, to others and that people would listen to much of what they have to teach, Lord, uh, which is very practical in many ways and helpful, Lord. We also pray for their ministry to stay strong, God Almighty, and that uh, many of those under the bondage of Islam uh, would be freed, Lord God Almighty. Protect them, we pray, as well, as they are in a relatively dangerous place compared to us, God, on the island of Cyprus, um, right there in the Middle East, Lord. And so we ask that you'd watch over them and guide them. We pray for our health situation, Lord, for each and every one of us, that we would continue to take care of our body as best we can. And although it may be frustrating at times, Lord, uh, with respect to exercise and diet, may we do what we can, where we are called to take care of the body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, for those who have chronic ailments, that you would be with them and help them, Lord, perhaps find a better doctor or find a better way to help alleviate or even uh, resolve their ailments and sicknesses, God. But at the end of the day, may we always trust in you and to know that it is as you guide things in providence, Lord, and may we learn perseverance and patience therein. Uh, God, we pray for those who are recovering from surgery and others, Lord, who are struggling with their long, difficult lives, such as Joshua, God, that you would be with them and their family. Help them, Lord. Comfort them, we pray. May they find uh, good Christian uh, men and families, Lord, up there in the north. We ask, God, that your spirit would be with us in our endeavors and to do our duties and responsibilities as we are called in our jobs and our families and the like. We pray in particular, Lord, for our friends in the military, for Lord Tolly, for Simon, and for others, God, that you would protect them, that you give them good contacts and men and resources in the military that would lead them in the right direction and not lead them astray, as has, uh, as, as has already happened, God, that they have been uh, perhaps lied to purposely or at least the truth hidden. 
one way or the other. Help them, God, to carve a path in the future of the military and outside the military, Lord, that they would do well. And they would understand uh, what it takes to do the right thing, God, and to be pleasing to you and to their superiors in a proper sense of the word in your Bible in accordance to your law. In particular, we pray for those in the police and the medical fields as well, that you'd be with them, watch over them. We think of uh, Nathan, uh, Lord, also under health, but he's a retired police officer, God, that you would help heal him quickly. And all those he knows that are Christians and others that we know, Lord, that work in these hard fields, where they see such uh, turmoil, such hardships and difficulties in life, God, that they would be a light in a dark world, and that they would be prepared to give an answer of the hope that is within them. Our Lord, we pray for our situation with uh, spring coming here, that we would have more snow and moisture and water that we need in this semi-arid land, and with all the people coming in, God, and more people taxing the water reservoirs and the like, God, that our leadership would not be uh, selfish and greedy, and uh, think that uh, they've got enough money they can pay for all this stuff themselves. But think of the rest of us, and the poor especially, and uh, be wise with the waters and expand the resources. We pray indeed from heaven, Lord, for more moisture, but also for a good crop and foods to be planted and to grow throughout the summer, Lord, and uh, and the like as these prices are going up and some of the foods has a relative shortage compared to the prosperity that we had for a few years ago even, Lord, that these things would not get worse. Help us, we pray, as a nation. Uh, help guide, we ask, Lord, those in, involved with important things such as water and food, Lord, uh, to not make it very difficult for us. And again, especially the poor and the poor Christians in particular, Lord, where it consumes more and more of their income, God. And so we ask for mer- mercy and pity upon us, we pray, in these regards. Be with us this week, Lord. Stre- uh, strengthen our weak hands and our sad heads, Lord, to stand firm this week, to know that you are with us and that we can carry on one day at a time, we pray, by your strength and spirit, Lord. Amen. May we have the tithes and offerings. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We lift up your name on high, God, and not only today, but throughout the week as we are able, Lord, as we give these tithes and offerings, Lord, may they be but a token of all our life, an expression, God, of all that we have in our hearts, given and offered up to you, Lord. Use them, we pray, for the good of your people, and for your glorious name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to Psalm 31. Psalm 31, let us listen attentively to the Word of God in Psalm 31, we're doing the entire psalm. In you, O Lord, I put my trust, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness, bow down your ear to me, deliver me speedily, be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirits. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord God Almighty. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief 
My years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servants. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Let us pray. Indeed, God, we do hope and indeed cling to you, God, and ask for continued grace and mercy that you would pour down upon us, Lord, and open our hearts to more of your strength and Insight and wisdom and acceptance, Lord, of what we read here, God, that we can come before you and we can rely upon you as our fortress in times of difficulty. In your name alone we pray. Amen. So we have another psalm with the many beautiful passages of hope and praise that echo in our hearts. David calls out to God for protection and defense against those who take him out, we read here. Again, not a lot of detail, but he does cry out to the Lord, and he acknowledges his trust in him as well, knowing that his Heavenly Father indeed has already been his fortress, and that's why he can come to him again for help and deliverance during this difficult time. And we too can come before him. We can read such a psalm. We can be comforted from such a truth. Let us go through the psalm here together in order to strengthen our heart in our time of need. So we have the first point, verses 1 through 13. Prayer for deliverance, where he mentions twice, the Lord is my fortress, that is a strong place of defense, a rock of protection. Obviously, a fortress is defensive in that way, and it's a place where he can have refuge and protection from uh, the enemies around him. A strong defense that's there certainly supernaturally, as we know, or morally upon our soul and what we are called to do in following God, but also physically, as we know, David, in praying these things, often has in mind his body and his bodily concerns, his life. I mean, people are trying to kill him. He's a king, he's a warrior king, a great fighter for God's people. And so his cry before God is always almost always, I believe, a cry of physical protection, certainly, but never devoid of spiritual protection as well. God, as we know, gifted him with combat prowess and leadership, and so through that he has gifted him with a way of protecting himself, to be sure. So when David cries out for deliverance, he knows often it won't be miraculous, but it will be through the humdrum providence cause and effect that we are used to, and yet it is a good thing to have that prayer, because God is in charge of providence, and even if we are well gifted in combat as David is, you can still mess up. <laughs> Things don't always work out the right way with your finances, for example, to pick another uh, physical thing or thing of this world that we pray to God for help, even though we may be uh, well protected that way. And we speak as a man, of course. Nevertheless, we must always come before God and pray for protection of all types and never be presumptuous. We must always come before him, no matter how gifted we are, no matter how blessed we are. For trials and tribulations will indeed be here. We must come before him as our strong tower in defense against everything else that is nothing compared to our God and Savior. And he says that, Lord, I put my trust into you. I, you are mine. I come before you as a, a, a fortress of defense, verse 2, against trouble to save me. What trouble does he want 
defense of Christ for. Again, not a lot of details, but we have, through several verses here, enough detail to know that there's problems going on here. We read in verse 4, of a net secretly laid for me. We read in verse 6, uh, of those who regard useless idols, presumably pagan neighbors or uh, Jews who are going uh, off into paganism, who want to tempt him perhaps. A reproach, a repulsion. Uh, he's repulsive, verse 11. People slander him in verse 13. And also in verse 13, that they come together, there's a conspiracy, they take counsel against him. So there are multiple things going on here, suggestive perhaps of court politicking, and as I mentioned there, perhaps also false gods and outright paganism, and undermining the church and his leadership in the church as the king of God's people in the Old Testament, there to protect them from the pagan and the pagan worship even, around them. And so he prays for protection. He prays for God to be his fortress against these councils, against a conceived, you know, conceptually conceived picture of a host of enemies around him, perhaps. And here also the prayer of protection is uh, explicit there. Deliver me, deliver me speedily, he says in these opening verses. He needs help, and he needs help now. He asks God to bow down, a verse 2, your ear to me as we know, is a beautiful picture there of asking God to listen and help. Come down, Lord, to my level. I need you. I need, my, I need your protection for my body. I need your protection for my soul, for the troubles around me, so I can be a king to protect your people, perhaps, and protect my family. And these difficulties he has are those who are surrounding him, those who would apparently try to kill him. We know that to be the case often in First and Second Samuel and elsewhere in the Old Testament, given the history of David. He's fighting the Philistines still in his life, and he wants protection from them as well. Enemies are there. Enemies are within his own court. As you know, those of his own household try to take him down. His son, Absalom. And so he had fam- enemies within his family, outside of his family, within his court, outside his court. Enemies who are conspiring together to lay a trap, to slander him, to destroy him, to even kill him. And so when he cries to God for deliverance, when he says, the Lord, you are my rock, lead and guide me during this difficult time so I know which way to go, to pull me out, verse 4, of the net which they have secretly laid for me, he means it in a way that's beyond many of our own experiences. Having a family member try to kill you, try to raise up half a nation against you, behind your back, and eventually comes public. And he has to run for his life. So... He asks for protection. He believes in the protection. Even from the beginning, when he cries out for deliverance, he already says, for you are my rock, not will you be my rock. He acknowledges it already. He knows God is with him, and he cries for more help. The troubles that he has, as I mentioned, are physical, but also uh, they're uh, spiritual as well, that they put their trust in false gods and the like. Uh, We read a little later, what is it? Verse 6, they regard useless idols. I have hated those who regard useless idols. And so there he, he apparently has, with the idea of fortress and protection, deliverance, not just physical but spiritual or worship-oriented with respect to the church of God, fake gods and false religions he wants protection from, and of course protection for his people. And God has given them that, of course, in his providence. He's given him his word. He's given him the priest and the temple itself. He's given the prophets In fact, David knows these things, that he has God's law, as he has an entire psalm on it, Psalm 119, about the law of God and how he learns from it and learns the worship of God even. He's committed to his Lord and Savior here in his cry for deliverance, verses 5 through 8. Into your hand I commit my spirit, you have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. He rests into him, into your hands, I commit your spirit. Again, there's that beautiful physical imagery as though he were a child, he's resting into God's outstretched arms of might and power in his providence. God is in control. This is clearly a doctrine of providence, that God is in control of history and the things around us in a way beyond our understanding and always to his glory. Where else can David go? What else can David do when we have done all that we can to fulfill our responsibilities, of course, 
David is not a fatalist. He's not just sitting here saying, God, help me. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. I'm not going to defend my family. I'm not going to stand up against the enemies. Uh, what we read often, I think, in the Psalms is he's saying, I've exhausted everything. I've got nowhere else to, nothing else to do. I can do nothing else except trust in God. And that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to exhaust the means and methods God has given us to do righteously, to protect, if we were a leader or a magistrate here in this case, your God's people or pastors from false worship. But having done all, there's nothing else you could do but pray. But even before then, you must always pray. and Begin with prayer and end with prayer. And so he is crying out to God, and this psalm echoes in our hearts because we too wish and should do the same thing. When things go south, we commit ourselves to God's care and do what we can and can do no more. And so he trusts in the living God in verse 16, and we have the contrast there of those who regard or trust the useless idols. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. So you have that contrast there. right? The poetry I talked about in Proverbs, you have it in the Psalms. It's all poetry, Hebraic poetry. And here you have a contrast in parallelism. They regard the useful, useless idols. You think the idea of regard there is, well, that's interesting. There it is. I, I see it. I regard its existence. Or rather, they're relying and trusting upon it, aren't they? And he contrasts that and says, but I trust in God. So you see, one half of the parallelism gives you a verb or a word that's more clear than the other. This tells you the idea of regard is actually the idea of trust or reliance upon. He says, they do it upon their useless, made-up gods, but I trust in the name of the Lord our, our God. A cry for mercy, verses 9 through 13. Uh, so again, in this opening verses where he prays for deliverance, and he reminds himself that he trusts in God, that God is indeed his fortress, but now he goes back to a, a cry for mercy. Uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, he says. And so here, again, he is in great difficulty. <laughs> he, it is so bad that he's in tears. I, his eye waste away with grief. Clearly he's crying. His soul and body are racked with misery. Verses 9 and 10, Have mercy on me, Lord, for my eyes waste, my soul and my body. My life is spent with grief. My years with sighing, just exhausted. My strength fails me. I think sometimes we've experienced that ourselves. And he says, I go to God with my difficulties. David has been through this as well. And it reminds us, of course, that men do cry, uh, but they cry in a different way than women, as it were in different circumstances sometimes, although they will cry for the same thing often, they express their grief often differently. But it's still there. The distress he describes in verses 11 through 13 with some detail, it's quite interesting. I'm a reproach among my enemies, so here's part of his problem, my, uh, but especially among my neighbors. And he's repulsive to those who are near him, his acquaintances, and those outside flee from me, like he's some diseased wretch. He's an outcast. He's mocked. He's a reproach, repulsive to those around him. They even flee. They run away. And in fact, we read uh, that they make plots against him. Verse 13, they take counsel against me. They scheme to take away my life, right? To plan to murder him. David is in life-threatening troubles, and he begs the Lord to deliver him. There's a fair amount of detail here, but still you're wondering what exactly is going on. We see this today to some extent. Perhaps people lie about us on social media, in our neighborhood, on our job. You've probably had that as well. It's very hard when they slander you, when they uh, make you a pariah, a social pariah. They make Christians, they mock Christians and say, what's your problem? And they hate us. And so although it's not as bad as David, people are not trying to scheme to take away our life. We praise the Lord but they will take away the life of our good name, perhaps, which is very hard to get back. And so, like David, we must trust in the Lord, even though everything looks down and out. I mean, everywhere he looks, no one's on his side, it looks like. Everyone's against him. They're fleeing from him. He's like a broken vessel. No one wants to rely upon him. He's, I'm like a, a forgotten dead man out of mind. Everyone has abandoned me, perhaps. His family, he feels, has abandoned him and left him. We don't know again, but it's something I think we can relate to at times, in one degree or another. 
David has been through these things. What's his response? He cries to God. He struggles with bitterness, perhaps. We see that in other Psalms. I don't think we see it especially here. In doubt, but he always goes back to God. And that's what we must do. Cry to God for mercy, knowing that he will protect us, that he is our fortress, and God will take care of us. As we see here in the next part, verses 14 to 18, the acknowledgement of trust, where he spends a little more time than before. He mentioned one or two verses where he's more explicit. He says, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. He's reiterating again that his faith is real, that it's there. Perhaps reminding himself that this is part of who he is. I say, you are my God. Trust he has in spite of the difficulties around him. You are my Lord, you are my God. Is what kind of language again, you remember? The language of the covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. Right? You will be my God and I will be your, we will be your people, is the other way of looking at it. And so this is the language of the covenant. That he comes before the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, and relies upon him. God, he who created heaven and earth, is my God. He has chosen me, and he will protect me. He has promised to be my fortress, and so I can come before him as he protects me, especially my soul. And so this is a comforting and a personal view of God. Not a chummy view of God, but a personal view of God. My times are in your hands. So there's that beautiful imagery again, right? That you can sing songs to. The metaphors that who I am and my whole life from beginning to end, my times are in your hands. God's in control. Life and death are his to decide and everything in between. It is a statement of trust. It is a statement of reliance. It is the picture of a child, spiritually speaking, relying upon his parent, his father. And we are called to do the same thing as David did. Get this language in our hearts to stand before God and to kneel before God in our prayers and say, God, all I can do is come before you. Everything is in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. So in the contrast to my enemies who think they have me, I know at the end of the day, although they think they have me in hand, you are actually the one in charge. My life is in your hands. And this acknowledgement of trust is his way of reinforcing his weak faith, perhaps, but certainly to strengthen his strong faith, at the very least, to add more faith to his faith. I have trusted you, I keep trusting you, and you reiterate the truths in your heart, that God is my God, and my times are in his hands, praise the Lord, from those who would persecute me, to make your face shine upon your servant, that is to bless me, to protect me for your name's sake. And then in verse 17, Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you, and not others. I can understand, he's saying my implication, if I went to another God or if I didn't speak to you, that I should be brought to shame. But I'm coming to you to be my deliverer. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things and proudly and contemptuously against the righteous, against him, to be sure and all the righteous around him. So you can add that to the list of deliverance that he wants, of the hardship and the difficulties around him. People lying in, slandering him, and righteous people speaking with pride in their hearts. What are we reading here in verses 17 and 18? But a prayer of judgment. Right? It's a prayer of judgment. They call it a precatory psalm. Not the whole psalm, it's part of the psalm. It's not very strong. It's not saying God trampled them down, sent lightning upon them. And yet it's still judgment. It's real. He says in the first part, of course, do not let me be ashamed. Don't let me be publicly humiliated. Why? By implication, because I'm not wrong. Protect my good name, God. That's what he's saying. Because they're, right, speaking against me, insolent things. He mentions elsewhere. They're slandering him in verse 13. The wicked, instead of me, The wicked should be ashamed because of their sin. They should be quiet, for they have the words of conspiracy on their lips. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. God Almighty. So this prayer of justice, of course, is not a petty vendetta uh, that, oh, they they made made fun of me and called me names, and like, like kids have these problems, right? And you're like, okay, kid, just blowing it out of proportion. Not that big of a deal, right? It's not like that. 
This is very serious stuff, serious justice. His name as the king of Israel is being slandered. And there's a conspiracy against him, a plot to kill him. This is serious stuff. And he ought to cry out for justice from God Almighty. And the church ought to cry out for justice if the same things happen to the church of God. And it has across the world as the Chinese government or the Korean government, North Korean government has conspired. They're not even conspiring. They're just saying it's outlawed. Right? You can't do these things. You can't be a Christian this way. And the way you, have, you can be a Christian is only that way. You cry out for justice. Yes, you want their conversion, but you can also pray for justice. Why can't you pray for both? David does. And we can too. And so we can have prayers of justice. And it's not just a public versus private thing. People like to think perhaps it's somehow unique only to David. As we know, there's imprecations in the New Testament, in fact, David, or excuse me, Jesus and um, Paul. Not often, to be sure, but they're there. If someone wants to kill your family, you should pray for justice. I'm sorry. That's the long and short of it. It's not super godly holy to say, Lord, don't give them justice. <laughs> what? Pray for the conversion, yes, but pray for justice. Don't you love your family? Then you should pray for your family as well. That's who you should take care of first. So, the third and last point, after he cries for deliverance from his God Almighty, and he acknowledges his trust in him, and part of that acknowledgement of trust is that God is in control and God will bring justice, is to pray to praise, excuse me, praise God for his goodness. Verses 19 to 24. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. Even in the midst of hardship, like David, we can praise God for his goodness towards us, goodness and all that he has done for us, brothers and sisters. He has laid up for those who, what has we read here? How great is your goodness, which you have laid up. Right? He's storing more and more goodness. We get some of it now, we get all of it in heaven. It's to those who fear him. Priest on fearing prior to this, didn't we? How fear is part of the Christian life. So we see it here again in this psalm. David takes it for granted. Trust and fear go hand in hand as it does with David here in this psalm. He, that is God, is his shelter, and God will shelter him again. God has provided for him and will provide for him again through his providence often, but all ultimately, as we know, when Jesus Christ returns in heaven and the new earth shall come before us. God's hand is protecting our soul. That's a guarantee now. Protection of our body is a guarantee then, because we will have a resurrected body. The blessing of God, verses 21, uh, 20 and 22. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Again, this imagery of the Lord being a fortress of a walled city about him and protecting him body and soul as God often did during his life. Of course, ultimately, at the end of the day, he did die. He did lose his body. But he'll get it again as he has hope, as we have hope in the resurrection. Now, it's interesting, he says here, for I have said in my haste, verse 22, I am cut off from before your eyes. So he corrects himself. Whoops, he recants. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. I was too quick to give up on you, God, but you were not too quick to give up on me. And then God brings us through the fire and the sudden deliverance. We praise God Almighty for the goodness he has bestowed upon us. And because of that, when you cry out to him, verse 22, at the end there, you heard my voice when I cried out to you. And so he says, oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. Love God Almighty, because God is our fortress and our rock. Love the Lord God Almighty, because God is trustworthy and kind. Love the Lord God Almighty, because he is good and worthy of praise. David calls all of us, he's not just praying for himself now, but all of us, all you his saints. I, who am your king, and calling you to praise the Lord for his deliverance and the promise of his deliverance for his people, for me, whatever the situation we find ourselves in. And he gives some reasons here why we ought to love God. 
I gave you some prior reasons, all assumed up to this point. He mentions them in various and sundry ways, the assumption being that's part of the reason why he wants to love God. But here he's more explicit. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. He gives two reasons in particular why we ought to love our God and Savior. Because God preserves us. Our bodies are here today because of the Lord. And, of course, our souls are preserved as he is our fortress and he has given us means of preservation of our lives. He preserves the faithful. He gives us the preaching and prayer and praise. He gives us Bible and fellowship. We have the Holy Spirit day in and day out. That's why we trust him and follow him no matter what. So God preserves us. He preserves the faithful. That's one reason to love God. And he will continue to preserve us. And there's another reason to love God. And what does it say here? And he fully repays the proud person. We love God because he vindicates us and he's a God of justice. You see that? Isn't that interesting? And so we're back again to the question of justice and prayer and praise before God. God repays the wicked is the reason you should love our Lord. We should love him for all his attributes, and one of them is justice. God is our fortress in our time of need, brothers and sisters. Never fear to call upon him for help. Always confess your trust in him as well, and praise him for his goodness, his eternal goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, you who were and are and shall be, you who are eternal Lord, we come before you thankful and praising you, God, and asking for your strength upon us. Be with us, we pray, Lord. May we be comforted with this psalm. May we sing in our hearts, Lord, that you are our fortress in our time of need. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Psalm 31b. 31b. Two sides again. One through five. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen. Amen.